This is Expat State of Mind with Tip and Tom. Hey, this is Tip. And this is Tom. And this is episode 12 of Expat State of Mind. Uh, We have a special guest today. Her name's Tamisha. Uh, She's living in Shanghai, China. And um, we kind of met via Instagram and started chatting about um, her life abroad. And uh, she's actually um, what I would consider like one of the um, special cases of moving abroad because she actually moved abroad with her child, whereas a lot of expats. Wow. Oh, whoops. Okay. I'll, I'll fast. I mean, I'll uh, start back from where I said. Uh, I'll just, start, just, start, just start again. Okay. I'll probably okay. surprise you when I tell you something. Oh, okay. All right. I won't mention the child yet. Okay. Yeah, right. just say just say like in Shanghai and then move on. Okay, cool. All right, three, two, one. Hey, this is Tip. This is Tom. And this is Expat State of Mind podcast episode twelve. We are joined by a special guest. Her name's Tamisha. She's from Mississippi in the United States, but currently living in Shanghai, China, and she is a teacher. But um, once we get into the podcast, you'll find out she's not just any old teacher. She's actually got lots of degrees and um, she's an educator. Um, So welcome, Tamisha. Hey, thank you. Hopefully here to educate us. Yes, (laughs) educate our um, listeners as well. Um, Yeah, Tamisha and I, we just met randomly on Instagram on like someone else's post and uh, I was talking about the podcast and she was like, oh, I'm interested. And here we are. So Tamisha, tell us a little bit about yourself, like kind of like your background. Um, and then we can talk about what actually inspired you to move abroad. Um, let's see. Um, of course, you've already told them I am from Mississippi. Um, I lived in Ohio before, in Cleveland, Ohio, actually, before deciding to move to Shanghai. Um, I surprise a lot of people when I tell them that this is my 24th year as an educator. Um, so I've been teaching for 24 years. Um, so it, this is like my profession and my uh, love and my, my passion pretty much. So um, I left the States in 2018, um, gave up like a fully established career, uh, gave up all of my seniority. Um, I left, um, at that time, I was like a curriculum a curriculum instruction specialist or coach. So, um, I gave it all up and decided to come abroad. Really? So did you have a job opportunity abroad or did you like know in your head that you wanted to leave the country and, you know, thought about job opportunities later? What happened, um, in, <laughs> is that? I tell a lot of people the story. In 2010, I started telling people, um, I said, I'm going to move out of the country. Um, I'm moving to Dubai. I'm going to Abu Dhabi. And everybody said, oh, yeah, okay. Which a lot of people know me. They know it if they tell me you're not going, I'm going immediately. Um, so a lot of people just kind of pacify me. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, but at that time, I was married. And my daughter was actually headed to high school. So it, I, I'm like, I'm going, but everybody's like, well, what about your husband? What about your daughter? 
And so of course it kind of fell to the side. 2014, uh, my husband and I parted ways, my now ex-husband. So it came back up in my mind and I started saying again, like I'm moving to the, to the Middle East. Um, and I stayed it for about two years. In 2017, I was still saying like, I'm moving to the Middle East, but something said like, okay, either you're gonna move and you're gonna live your dream or you need to stop talking about it and find a new dream. Like I'm talking to myself, like do it, or <laughs> don't. but if you're, if you're not gonna go, then find something else to talk about. Right. The opportunity presented itself for me to actually uh, moved to Dubai in 2017. At the last minute, I kind of got cold feet. I said, no, I don't want to interview. It won't be enough time for me to sell my house, resign, tie up loose ends. Um, and that was like in May. But in July of that same year, I started to eat, sleep, dream. It was like 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All I thought about was, okay, I gave up that opportunity and I still want to move abroad. And I promised myself I wouldn't do it again. So when hiring season started, I was ready with my resume, with my, well, my CV, um, with my copies of my degrees, just everything that I would need to start the process. And amazingly, I had offers in the Middle East, um, in Abu Dhabi, Dubai, um, Kuwait, and then I had two here in China. Right, what was okay. it? What was the initial pull towards the Middle East? Why were you sort yeah, of dead set on that in the first well, place? I'm going to be, I do not know. It was just something about it. I don't know if it was the glitz, the glam. Honestly, in 2010, I don't even know why I thought like I had to go to the Middle East. I don't know if it just sounded good rolling off of my tongue or I don't know. But when the opportunity presented itself, um, like I said, I had two opportunities. They came um, that November in 2017 and in January of 2018, I turned down both opportunities for somewhere that I knew, that I had known since like 2010 I would end up. And I said, no. And even when the two opportunities pre presented themselves in Kuwait, I was like, nah. But it was something about China. And China is a place I never thought I'd ever come, I never wanted to visit or anything, and here I am. That's really cool. It's funny that you mentioned like 2010 was when you started thinking about going to the Middle East because I feel like I had similar thoughts, not about living in the Middle East, but just visiting. And I think in 2010, um, uh, the UAE was kind of like emerging as this like cool place to visit. They were bu building the Burj Khalifa and um, it was just like what was kind of advertised in the States. It was like, and I remember telling like my partner at the time that was like, yeah, we, I want to go to Abu Dhabi. I want to go to Dubai. And it would have been 2010 um, yeah. that I was there having those conversations. Yeah, it was only so very fashionable at the time. What'd you say? Yeah. It was really fashionable at the time, wasn't it? You'd see a lot of like celebrities going there and it became like yeah. the place to be seen and go shopping. And, yeah. and maybe that's what it was because you couldn't tell me that that was not where I was going to be. Yeah. I have another question. So tell me, what is hiring season? So what does that entail? Hiring season usually starts like um, for the upcoming school year 
for the 21 and beyond school year, 21, 22 school year hiring season actually has already started. It starts in October. That's when you start having all the recruitment fairs. That's also when like the international schools start to ask teachers, like, will you, if you're at the end of your contract, will you return? You know, what right. are your thoughts on uh, coming back so that they can know like, okay, we need to start going out to recruit teachers um, and to fill these positions. Of course, with um, COVID, a lot of the fairs are now virtual. Um, so oh, that should be interesting. Being, yeah, and that's what I'm hearing because I'm hearing now, since they're virtual, you really have to have personality and know how to sell yourself. Um, and you just have to be sure that you have everything prepared and ready. So it's a little different from the ones um, in person. Either way, you have to know how to present yourself and sell yourself, but virtually, I think it can be a little harder. Right. That would be like good information for people who are listening, who are thinking about going that route, um, but don't know how to actually get the opportunities. Because I've never heard of like this sort of process. Um, I always thought you just, you know, find the advertisement and then you apply and that's how you get a job, you know. You can do direct applies, but the thing is, um, if you want to work, for me, I'm a licensed trained educator. So I work um, at an international school. So when you want to get into the top schools, the international schools, the embassy um, run schools, you go through some of the top agencies such as Search Associates. Um, a lot of people even use like Teach Away uh, teach anywhere. They use recruiters like that. My very first position, um, it was pretty much a direct, um, a direct apply, but it takes a lot of work. Um, and you have to be diligent if you decide to, to search solo or, or, or without any assistance. Cause it, it can go, it can either be good or it can be bad. So if you decide that you're going to go and just do it on your own, you have to be willing um, to do your due diligence with researching the um, institution that you're applying to. Right. So how does that work with visas? So what, what type of visa are you on to be able to teach? Um, to be Actually, able to I, have, I have a residence permit. Um, so my residence permit, um, they apply for it yearly. With China, a lot has changed and it's ever changing. Um, actually in 2018, when I did sign, I actually signed with my last school um, in January of 2018. And so right after I signed, I got a message from HR. So you definitely need to have a good human resource person. Um, you need to have a, a resource department in general that they're good with follow-up, they know what they're doing and they're pushing for you and making sure that you stay on schedule. Shortly after I signed, um, we were told um, that a lot of the rules and things had changed in order to come into China and actually teach um, a lot of the guidelines. So I started the process around January 27th of 2018. Um, actually didn't complete the process until May because you have to go through getting documents authenticated. You have to have medical checks um, and the medical checks can be detailed like it was just a good thing that I was employed because at that time, my insurance from my other job covered everything. But like you have to have detailed medical checks, blood work, um, your background check, you have to have all your 
degrees and certs and all of that authenticated, which can be expensive for some um, who may not have saved for it or understand what that process is like. And then you have to wait to receive um, your invitation letter. And once you receive your invitation letter, then it's like the process starts all over again with everything right. that you need to do. And it has to be timed just right. Like, because when I came in in 2018, we received what was called um, a Z visa and it was like one entry, but it had to be timed just right. So that once we got here, it gave our schools enough time to apply for our permit. Right. Okay. So the school applies for the permit on your behalf. You, if you're at a good school, um, at a real international school, um, or just a real school period, then they will take care of all of that for you. What you don't want to do, honestly, and I try to tell people, tell people all the time, um, especially or rather before COVID, China is not the place to come illegally or to try to work illegally or to come over on the wrong visa. Some schools um, over the past couple of years, they would try to get people to come over on um, um, humanitarian visas and different types of business visas. That is illegal. Um, and China is not a place you want to play. Right. It, they, they don't have that type of government where you come over and you think you can do what you want, how you want. They have a, a tight hand on the people that are here. Okay. Well, and, did, you know, that's observed. Yeah, did yeah. That, I mean, did that, um, so you mentioned potentially moving to the Middle East and then to China. So it's two places that are known to be, I guess, fairly sort of authoritarian. Did that, did that was that a consideration when you made that move? Did you think about the kind of, I guess, the, the, the culture there in terms of the law and things like that? Um, in regards to the Middle East, I I'd studied up on a lot of things. Honestly, uh, with the thought of coming to China, I was like, wow, it's a communist country. Um, I didn't really think beyond that. And I'm going to be honest, I was so shocked about a lot of things and a lot of ways that things work once I got here, that probably even if I had taken the time to really investigate, I still wouldn't have been prepared. China is a place that honestly, you you can come with thoughts, but no matter what, you're, you're never really prepared for what you'll experience. Mm. And, and are you finding it's like less and less communist as time goes by? So you've only been there a couple of years, but it, it's a, what we hear from the outside is that things are becoming more it's westernized for want of a better term yeah but you know what the one thing that i admire about the people um they kind of look out for one another and that has been seen um through the entire process of COVID. and they're also a people that they take the general well-being of one another into account um and also they they, they just kind of do what they're told is it's like this is the law and i'm not gonna question it and, and they follow it. And I think that also has a lot to do with how well COVID was handled here, um, as well as the com as well as the country, like reopening, as I like to say, outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in stark, stark contrast to all of our home countries, really. In this, I was just like, about to say that. The people's response. Yeah, because like last night, um, I was out 
And um, you may have seen a tip like I posted on Instagram, the pictures of the kids out in costumes. Yeah. And I kind of posted on Instagram, like it makes me sad that this country was actually crippled and, and they were taken down by the knees and they slowly reopened. And then here's my country where outside has kind of been taken away. Yeah. But yeah. you make a good point when you say that um, uh, the Chinese people, they're kind of like, this is the law, so I'm going to follow this law. Whereas mm -hmm. what I've seen back in, uh, well, I've only seen, you know, on social media and the news that back in the States, you know, some people are like, okay, cool. You want me to wear a mask? I'll wear a mask. And some people are like, I'm not wearing a mask. You cannot make me wear a mask, you know? And uh it's also interesting that you say in China, people are looking after each other, especially during COVID. And I feel like that's probably what's lacking in the States is a bit of compassion. And um, people are kind of like, you know, mm, I do what I want kind of thing and not thinking about how their actions might affect someone else. Maybe someone that they know, like an older relative or someone that they don't know that they've transmitted, you know, COVID to. And because, uh, you know, a lot of people aren't even thinking it's a thing, but you are in China where, you know, some people won't say their name, uh, think that China is the reason for all of this. And mm -hmm. um, you, you're describing uh, the Chinese people and what it's like in China as if, you know, they are actually, you know, taking it very seriously and they're caring about one another and, you know, not letting COVID and the pandemic, you know, change who they are as people. I mean, honestly, um, in January, when we really had no clue, honestly, what was happening, um, left for Chinese New Year, I went to um, Seoul, South Korea. Even then, the crazy thing is, we still really had no idea what was happening. I left that Saturday, and I remember that Sunday reading um, in, in, uh, reading on WeChat, um, and following through other social media, like someone had come through um, from China um, with, you know, this virus. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, like, wow. At that time, we had no idea how this would impact us, even with coming back a week later from Seoul and just seeing how dreary it was and, and things being closed, you were kind of used to that because it's Chinese New Year, everything shuts down. But honestly, it was just a different type of eeriness this year. Um, and so I remember maybe, um, maybe four or five days after getting back, I just told my mom, because I was talking to her, she was like, you don't sound like yourself. She was like, you just don't, sound right are you okay and I was like I feel like you know something's going on I don't know what but I also feel like I'm getting depressed I can't stay here um and I ended up leaving going to Thailand and I stayed in Thailand 30 days and even then you were just hearing about everything but you had no idea that it would be anything like it is now you just thought okay it's an epidemic. They've survived a lot more, but you had no idea that this ep epidemic will become a pandemic and it will go worldwide like this. Right. I don't think we, like Tom and I, knew that either when we, like Australia in March was like, okay, we're going to do a bit of a shutdown. And because I came to Tom's and I was like, yeah, I'll be there for like two weeks, maybe three. And once a month passed, 
I was like, wait, what? And then another month passed and I was like, oh, okay, wait, I've got to rethink all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up moving, um, like I was living with the flatmate and I was like, I think this is going to last a lot longer. So I think I need to like make some changes in my life. Um, aside from the pandemic, I'm just curious to know, how do you deal with like the language difference? Like, do you speak Mandarin or Cantonese or like? You know, this is a very, let me, for me, in my opinion, this is a very hard language. Um, to learn. I admire um, the the people. I admire, I just, I admire them for being able to speak. There's so many different tones. You can say the same word, you could say it, say it in like three different ways and it means three different things. There are different tones to the language. As you're learning it, you have to be careful because each tone could possibly mean something different. Um, I use Google Translate. I have some Chinese friends that I can always call. Honestly, though, I don't like, well, I use more than Google Translate, but that's like my fallback. I don't always like to use a translator app, especially when it comes to business, because sometimes the translation can be a little off. So like if I'm signing something or I'm dealing with major business, I prefer to be able to call a Chinese friend and have them on WeChat or um, I prefer to ask, can I take the papers and maybe take them to my HR person or take them to someone that I can depend on. But I do remember when I first moved, um, I got here that Friday, that Monday, they had us at the bank. And China is a country that thrives off of actual paper. Like sometimes you can be like, you do know like their electronic versions of things. No, they like paper. <laughs> And you get copy after copy after copy and everything has huge red stamps and all those characters. And I remember like, cause I've, I've like documented my trip since the day I left. But I remember telling people like, this is a place where if you don't speak the language and you can't read the characters, you have to really trust. You have to trust that you have good people, many your HR people or colleagues in your corner. And then you just have to trust that you know, this is your story and everything is going to be okay. Because it, it can be hard um, being somewhere where you don't understand a lot. It can be hard when you're trying to go to the grocery store and buy something. It can be hard going to a restaurant. I did kind of learn how to look for little characters that resemble like beef or chicken or egg or whatever. <laughs> I did take uh, Mandarin classes, but again, it can be hard. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, so how, what was it like? Maybe walk us through, uh, your first couple of weeks there when you first got to China. Actually, before you say that, I just had a thought. What did your family and your friends, so like your, um, you mentioned your mom and you mentioned your daughter. So what was everyone's reaction? You're like, okay, y'all remember how I said all these years that I was moving overseas? Okay. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> like this is the time. What was their reaction? everybody they they were shocked but they weren't shocked i think they were they weren't shocked that i was moving overseas they were shocked that it was china um because again like my my family and like my real ride or die friends they know me they know that if you tell me i can't i I will i'm going to show you that i can if they tell me yeah you can do it it all depends on how i feel i may not so nobody said like 
don't do it or anything because they knew if they said don't, it was going to drive me even more and keep that excitement going. So everybody just kind of, they were supportive. Um, my mom, she was great. Um, I'm the only girl, but she was really great. There were times when she would be like, I, I don't want to talk about it right now. Like, I know you're going and I'm making peace with that, but Aww. let's not talk about it. So it was like, I had to find good times um, where she would be okay to, to talk about it and realize like, okay, she, she's really moving. Amazingly, I have three brothers. So my brother that is right next to me, we have always called each other like 17, 11 or nine to five based on our age and just back in the day. Um, it's surprisingly, it hit him the, the hardest. And I remember like my mom just saying how hard he was taking my leaving. And then I remember talking to him and he even said it like he just couldn't believe I was leaving. Um, he's still in Mississippi. At that time I was in Ohio and I think his girlfriend had to like talk him through it. Like to tell him like, you don't see her every day now. You're here in Mississippi, she's in Ohio. She doesn't come home all the time for Christmas. So just pretend she's still in Ohio, but he took it the hardest. Um, I think probably harder than my mom. And that was the surprising part. And my dad was just kind of like, oh, so you gonna go to China? I probably won't visit, but you know, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Has anyone visited you yet? Have you had any visits from the States? You know, um, right when we would have started to plan like for my mom to come over or even for my daughter to come over after I'd been here and prepared. And that's when, when COVID and everything yeah, hit. Yeah. And I'd already been here for over a year. The one thing that people do have to understand about China, and that's what also my mom had to get used to. China is not a place that you just say, oh yeah, on January 31st, I'm going to go to China and you buy a ticket. Um, you know that you do with this country, you do have to wait to receive an invitation. There's paperwork and procedures that you have to go through even to get a visitor in. So um, yeah, it, it's not just, well, on the 31st of January, I feel like I'm going to buy a ticket because I want to be in, be in China on February 2nd. That's not how it works. Yeah. Right. That's good to know because yeah, like, even I didn't know that. I wanted to visit China, like I didn't know that, you know, there was a process. I mean, I might have assumed, you know, maybe like a visitor visa of some sort, but I didn't yeah. think like an invitation. Yeah, it's like you you have to submit. It's it's similar to like they they need to know why you're here. What what's your business? How long you're going to be here? Where you're saying where are you staying? Even um just coming here, I remember coming through the airport for the very first time after being on the flight for like 16 hours and having to stop and do fingerprints and get the fingerprint print out and then go through immigration and deal with immigration and being told like to pull my hair back and take my glasses off. I've worn glasses for so long, I can't see my fingers in front of my face. So imagine being told like, remove your head ornaments and they're talking about your glasses and like you're trying to take them off your telling you to look and you you're squinting and you just don't know what to do so it, it's different um and then within 24 hours of being here you have to it's it's not a 
do you want to, but you have to go to the police station and register at the police station. Even though I have a, a residence permit, whenever I move, I have to go to the police station and register. They're going to know where you are and what you're doing at all times. Right. Very interesting. Um, back to my other question. So how, what was it like when you first moved here, like your first couple of weeks? I mean, I'm imagining there's a big language gap and, you know, like you say, using and a lot of paperwork and stuff, but said, yeah. Paperwork. But what was it like, just like, you know, out and about, like, you know, I just, I'm trying to visualize you like popping up in China and it's just like buzzing. Shanghai has a huge, right? Popping up in China, black. Yeah, <laughs> um, I know, like, just, I'll say it for you. <laughs> uh, uh, it honestly, even I can even take you back to being in the in the states at the the airport. Um, yeah, take me back. I remember calling my mom um, once I got to Detroit. Getting to China was crazy. Let me give it to you real quick. Getting to China was really crazy. Um, everything was scheduled. I was actually getting ready, like my mom, my daughter, and one of my good friends had actually loaded up the um, the the SUV and everything because I came to China with 10 suitcases, 10 pieces of luggage. Um, I travel. I had a carry-on, I had a backpack, and I snuck my purse <laughs> on the side. Uh, my flight was supposed to leave at 2.10. Um, at about 10.15, I received like this text and this call from Delta saying like, uh, your flight has been delayed. It's not leaving until four. But I'm thinking if my flight doesn't leave from Cleveland until four, how am I supposed to catch that flight that leaves at four headed to Shanghai from Detroit? So I'm like panicking, but my mom, my daughter, my friend, they were just calm um i end up calling delta over and over it took about 20 minutes for me to actually connect with delta um and i got this really nice agent and all she kept asking me was where are you and i was trying to tell her where i was and she kept asking me that because she was saying like you have these options you can catch a later flight that has like three layovers and we can still get you to china but i kept saying like i have 10 pieces of luggage I don't want to risk three or four layovers and here is my luggage <laughs> lost, brought out everywhere. I need this flight that has one layover that, that I purchased and I purchased it for a reason. So in the end, she said, if you can be at the airport at 11 a.m. on the dot, mind you, it's like 1045 a.m. now. She was like, if you can be at the airport at 11 a.m. on the dot, she said, you can't be a minute later than that. We're going to push you through and get you on this flight that will get you to Detroit and you'll just have a longer layover. In my mind, I'm thinking, I'm not gonna make it. My friend was like, you're leaving. We're gonna get you there. When they told me they were gonna push me through, I didn't think they really meant push me through. I got to the airport at 11 o'clock a.m. on the dot. It was like coming to America through the airport. Yeah. <laughs> they took all my luggage and put it on the trolley and like they were coming behind me with the luggage and I was running to the counter and like my mom and my daughter they were behind me and when I got to the counter and told the lady everything that I had been told by the agent to tell her she said we only have room for seven bags 
And so I'm like, I can't leave any of my bags. I said, I'm moving. I'm not going on a vacation. So I can't stand here and tell you, you know, what bags I'm going to leave. What are my other options? She was like, the only thing I can tell you is you have to leave three bags. <laughs> and I'm like, well, the only thing I can tell you is I'm not going to be able to take this flight because I need all of my stuff. Anybody who knows me knows that I have to have my things. They bring me comfort. And for me, I felt I was already giving up so much. I can't leave any of these bags. She ended up calling her supervisor over. I kind of took over the conversation because I was nervous. And he was like, we've been waiting for you. You got to get on this flight. He was like, tag that stuff, push it through, push it, tag it. So when they started dumping my bags and tagging them, I'm standing there trying to say bye to my mom and my daughter. My daughter was pregnant at the time. Um, that's something a lot of people don't know. My daughter is 26 years old. So at that time, um, my daughter was pregnant. So you're trying to say goodbye. She was due the following month, trying to say goodbye to her, trying to say goodbye to my mom. And the um, supervisor, he said, you don't have time. He literally like start pushing me towards the, <laughs> the security gate. He was like, she has to go. Say goodbye, you gotta go. And if you <laughs> haven't seen it, it was just so crazy. But I said, maybe God knew that we didn't need all that time to drag out. Because for me, it was like, I felt like I was tearing my mom and my daughter's heart out of their chest. Like I'm looking at them standing there kind of in shambles while I'm being pushed to security. And it, it was just, it was crazy. But once everything was all said and done, um, I made it to Detroit. And when I got to Detroit, I was the only person of color at that gate for that flight to Shanghai. Everybody else was Asian. And they were kind of looking at me and I called my mom because the people at the counter, they were, everything was being said in English and in Chinese. And then I had these people looking like, where is she going? Yeah, <laughs> and you're, like, you're the wrong gate. <laughs> yeah, it was just <laughs> different. But arriving here over the, the next few weeks, it was crazy because they stare. Um, sometimes they don't want to sit next to you. Um, they, some, some don't treat you that kind. Like I've gone to take a seat on the subway, um, and Chinese person has gotten up and moved or they've taken up two seats. So you won't sit down. Uh, one of the craziest things was my, I got here that next day, um, the school took us grocery shopping. We were in the grocery store, still jet lag as I don't know what because of that time change. And I remember I had long braids down like past, past my behind. I had long braids. And this Asian lady pulled my hair. Imagine this was a Saturday. I had just gotten those braids in on a Wednesday. Tiffany, imagine how just imagine those braids had just been put in. So you right. know, they were tight. Tom can she, imagine too. <laughs> <laughs> she pulled my hair. And I remember the thing that bothered me most was not that she pulled my hair. It was just that she had what appeared to maybe be her daughters with her. And they all pointed and laughed. And I almost lost it. 
and one of my new colleagues at that time, her name is Michael, she came up and all I could hear her saying was, Tamisha, Tamisha. I don't know what she could see in me, but I always tell Michael, like, she saved some people that night and she doesn't even realize it. But I could hear her, like, calling my name like she was calling me out of a trance. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, uh, you, they take pictures. Um, unsolicited pictures. So it's, it's different. But I do tell people, like, I've met some really helpful, great, awesome Chinese people. A couple of my best friends, they're Chinese. So you can't judge everybody. It's like you can't lump everybody into that one group. I've met some that haven't been so nice at all. Um, and I've met some that have been awesome. Even here one day I was coming in and the security guard was taking his time, like scanning the car to let me in the gate. But what I didn't realize was he was trying to tell me about my hair. And once he got it out, he was like, your, your, your hair is beautiful. And my <laughs> colleague that I was with, she's lived here in this compound for two years. She said, do you know that's the most English he's spoken in two years? Oh, wow. Yeah. So you meet cool. some, some nice ones and you meet some that are like, not so not nice. So nice. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a break. Oh, sorry. Okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Thank you for listening to Expat State of Mind. If you're enjoying what you hear, like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast. And remember, if there's anything you want to hear on the podcast, hit us up at, at Expat State of Mind on Instagram or expatstateofmind at gmail.com and we're back um Tamisha, i had a quick question about those first couple of weeks um how how did you go about finding housing um was that uh, did like the school help you out with that was that part of like finding a job was that part of the recruitment process or was that left to you with the um with the school where i was the situation was at that time the year that I moved they just built brand new housing for us um, on campus now when we arrived the, they sent out an email the day I left letting all of us who were coming in know because um, we were coming in from all over the country everybody from various parts of overseas everything they sent an email that I never opened um, because of the way I had to leave leave um, the U.S. Uh, hurriedly. And the email said that our housing was not ready because two typhoons had hit China within so many weeks and that there had been some damage to the housing. Um, and what they did was they actually put us up in a resort um, by, the, by the school um, called Sun Island. So for the so, first- Sorry, the school owns a resort. That's unusual, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, call, they actually um, own a resort. Uh, it's called Sun Island, and that's where we stayed for the first two weeks. So on the resort, 
you had, you just couldn't tell us we weren't living great because you had access to the massage service, you had access to the, the maid service, cleaning, discounted food, <laughs> breakfast buffets. So you really, we thought we were on vacation, <laughs> more so than uh, here to work. But um, two weeks after, we were able to move um, into our new housing that was on campus. So, but not not everyone from the school stayed in those apartments because the the year that I moved, that's where they wanted all new teachers and all incoming teachers to stay. Other teachers who come prior to us, even the year before, they received housing stipends and they were able to stay out other places. Okay. Which do you think is better? Um, the one thing I enjoy about staying on campus was I was like one minute from work <laughs> so you can get last sleep um, but when you live on campus you can never really disconnect from work that's one thing um, as well as when you're living with your colleagues you're always kind of careful careful because you never really have that privacy like we all um, all of us that were new teachers um, in 2018, that's where we lived. We saw each other all the time. They were always trying to organize things for us to bring us together as um, a, a tight-knit community. So there was never any privacy. It was like, I remember one Saturday morning getting up and it's just a good thing we were all great people, but my neighbor had company. So they were, I was at the hmm. dryer down the hall and they were leaving out and it's like you're in college. So you kind of do that little shy look and the little uh, teenage <laughs> giggle at one another. So you, you lose that privacy and then it's kind of hard to separate, have that work um, personal life balance sometimes. Yeah, I could see that. You didn't end up like partying with the students on campus. <laughs> no, my, my, um, my building had K to 12 in there, but now nah, kids didn't stay on campus, just um, the teachers that were hired in 2018 um, and then the teachers that were hired in 2019 after us as well. And then uh, you mentioned you moved school. So you, you, do you have to find your own housing with a new place or did you move with again? With my, um, with my, I actually, my contract at my former school ended, it was 2018, 2019, 2019, 2020. So that con that contract ended, um, and I'm now at a different um, international school. And when you're with the 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 good international schools, what happens is you can either choose to find housing and take that housing stipend, or some of the schools they own apartments, and you can take one of the apartments that they own or one that they personally rent from someone. So it's always a, um, a way about it. But the apartment that I'm in now um, is beautiful, just like my last apartment was at my former school. And just like at my former school, I don't pay anything. The school covers everything. It's always a bonus. Ooh. Yeah. Always, always a bonus. Yeah. So then... So we talked about housing and I'm sure that's like one thing that a lot of people want to know. Um, 
even though like you've been able to uh, like you've been lucky enough to have your housing covered um if you were to like decide to not do the school housing and do your own thing do you think it would be quite hard um shanghai is it's a a heavy market this is a city that has like i think about 25 million people there's say more people than most countries yeah the city of the city just shanghai because yeah. the the one thing that I did learn before moving, and it, I, I didn't even realize China housed like one third of the world's population. And then I didn't realize that in this city, like 25 million people, wow. But it, it's a competitive market. Uh, it's not a place where you can go and you can start looking for somewhere to live, let's just say in March, and you're not ready to move until June. When you start looking, you have to be ready to actually jump on it because if you're not, somebody's right behind you um, to to hop on it. But Shanghai is an expensive city as well. So it, it's very expensive. And have right. you had a chance to travel much outside of Shanghai? Um, I've gone to uh, Chengdu, which is still in China to see the pandas. I've been to Taiwan, Hong Kong. I've been to Thailand twice. Um, I have been to uh, Indonesia. So yeah, we, I think I said Hong Kong already. We were traveling every chance that we got every holiday. Um, I've been a shaman, which is still in, in China. Um, we traveled because the one thing um, with living in China, sometimes you need to, to get away um, and regroup. As much as I'll say that I do enjoy it here and I love my life, it can sometimes be draining as well. So you use those holidays to actually get away um, just so you can regroup and come back a little bit stronger. That's also why in two years, um, I've been home three times. I, it would have been four times had we mm -hmm. been allowed to travel this past summer. But anytime yeah. I can go home, I go home and Prior to that, if we had a holiday, we were traveling. And is it easier to travel internally now that you are in China than it was to get in there initially? Like if you're going to another province, for example, do you don't have to apply for a permit there? No. Do you? no, you don't. But now with COVID, you do have to check to see uh, what their rules and regulations are. If you go to another province, do you, do you need to quarantine? Do you have to have a COVID test? Do you have to have their green code? Like when I went to, I went to Shaman to see one of my friends in July. Um, and the one thing that I needed, I needed the, even though I had my green code uh, for Shanghai, I needed to have a green code for her province, uh, Fujian What's green code? The green code is the code that's saying like, okay, she's safe. She, right. as far as we know, she hasn't been in contact with anybody um, that, um, you know she hasn't been exposed pretty much so you always want your code when you pull it up to be green because <laughs> anything else is, is kind of a problem right okay interesting um yeah. what one question i had is um you know both i think myself and timmy when we both moved were i guess early on in our careers and um, just finding our sort of way in the world. Um, but like you already had like an established career, like you said, in the States. And so, and then you moved to a country where you didn't speak the language as well. So you 
done a couple of jumps that maybe I don't know if I would have been able to do. Um, so I guess did did that? I mean, you obviously you were thinking about moving for a long time. Was it? Did you get to a stage where you thought it's now or never? Or what, yeah, how how's it been? I guess moving probably a different stage in your life and career than than we did. I guess. When I just when I um, moved abroad, I was actually forty four, and a lot of people are shocked. A lot of people I shot with a couple of things. I shock them when I tell them that I'm now forty seven. Um, I shock a lot of people when I tell them I have a twenty six year old daughter. Um, I shock a lot of people when I tell them I'm also a grandmother and my granddaughter is two. Um, so I, I, I honestly do shock a lot of people. Um, I know it's probably a little off topic, but yesterday I was actually at the nail salon and one of the ladies at the nail salon, we were just talking and she was saying like how she's too old to be out going to parties for Halloween. And I was like, me too. I said, I, I've done that. I'm, you know, I'm going to just kind of walk around the neighborhood, just kind of have some coffee, you know, because I feel like I'm a little too old too. And she asked how old I was. And I said, I'm 47. And she was like, oh my God, you're 47. She said, it's kind of hard to tell how old people are when they're your color. And I knew she didn't mean any harm. She meant no harm at all. But she was just saying like, with, I guess, us as people of color, Black people, it can sometimes be deceiving as to how we are. And she was just so amused and shocked that um, I was 47. Oh, we have but that conversation that a lot here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really started to. Um, and it's funny because I've said that uh, like to my colleagues before and even just people that I met, it's just always a, a joke because I always tell them that we're well cared for black doesn't crack. It's, it's just a, a, a running thing. But back to your original question, um, just like I said, I said I was going to move abroad since 2010 when the everything just started to fall into place. Okay, I'm no longer going to be married. Okay, well, your daughter's now, she's, she's grown. She's doing her own thing. So what are you going to do? When the opportunity really presented itself in 2017 and I turned it down, honestly, I did talk to, I had a conversation with myself and it really was like, you either need to live your dream or stop talking about it, find a new dream. And here I am. So, and and, do, and are you glad, do you think you did it at the right time? Do you just part of you wish you've done it earlier and maybe had more chance to move around i still plan on moving around i can work for i i plan on if i was still in the states i probably would be trying to retire within the next five or ten years probably five <laughs> well <laughs> probably five or six but i still have some years ahead of me to travel um and and work and enjoy the the lifestyle that I have and God willing, I, I plan to do so. Um, I often look at some of the young, younger people, like I work with teachers who are like 25 and 26. They're my daughter's age. <laughs> um, and it's just always funny to me. I know at that time, for me, I feel like everything happens for a reason. My journey, my story, it all fell in place when it should. At 25, 26, honestly, even at 35, my attitude wasn't right. Like now in, in my 40s, 
I'm a different type of Tamisha. I respond to things differently. I handle situations differently. And I think God knew exactly when my journey needed to start. So what I've had to learn is my story is, is my story. My time is my time. And this is now my time. So oh, that's a good it, way to look at it. Yeah, because, you know, I, I, Sorry. I, I moved here after I had been um, in Cleveland for 21 years. I've been with the same school district for 21 years. So I gave up everything to come You have like tenure, right? Mm-hmm. Or did you have tenure? Yeah, I, I was tenured. Um, I left behind tons and tons of sick days. I was huh. high on the salary scale. I had two homes in Cleveland. I, I gave it all up to to do this. And for me, I always just say, I know that God would not have had me to give up and leave everything that I knew um, to let me fail. I'm sure Tip, Tip might have something to say that uh, losing, a pl- losing living in Cleveland might not be that bad after all. Uh, um... Yeah, well, I'm not <laughs> a huge fan of Cleveland. Or Ohio in general, really. Um, but, you know, we don't have to talk about that. No, we don't have to talk about that. So you mentioned... But I'm from Mississippi, though. <laughs> what do you say? I mean, I'm not a fan of Mississippi though. either. Um, but it's not even like... Mississippi is one of those places that I'm just not going to... I've been there before. I'm probably not going to, you know, go there anytime soon. Um, <laughs> so, I knew you had a question. But I just wanted to ask her real quick. What's the salary like... Uh, like, is it comparable to what you had when you were in the United States? Or, and does it allow you to live comfortably in Shanghai? Like, you don't have to tell me what it is, but like, you know. Comfortably, I am, I'm, I'm living quite well. I was living really well before I, I moved over. Cause like, I have, um, I have my bachelor's, I have my master's, I have 15 hours towards my doctorate. So um, I was tenured, I had 21 years, so I was making really good money and living really well um, in Cleveland because Cleveland, um, it was one of the better paying cities and, right. you know, Ohio is the unionized state, so the union would always fight for like your pay raises, the salary or whatever it is, benefits, they would fight for it. That's cool. um, So moving here, still everything is great. Uh, because I am a licensed, certified um, educator, and I work at an international school, salary is awesome. I have great benefits, like worldwide health insurance. Um, so that's a plus. Free housing, just awesome uh, benefits. Where here you don't, we don't pay for anything. We pay right. for nothing. So your salary is your salary to do as you please. But again, that's because I'm a licensed certified teacher at an international school. I'm not at like a training center or one of the the, uh, kindies or anything like that. Right. What were you going to say before, Tom? Oh, oh, yeah, I was just going to say, you you mentioned you still had some time to travel. So have you put any thought into where it might be next for you if... uh, if you leave China or leave Shanghai? I was thinking that same thing. I said that. Um, I actually, last year when my school, um, last year, my first time going to uh, Thailand, my school actually sent me, um, and it was, I still laugh about it 
um, now because I never would have thought like I would be going to a PD professional development in Bangkok. You know, you don't even think about things like that when you are living in the U.S. But my school last year sent me to um, Bangkok to spend a few days to go to a professional development meeting. So Bangkok was on my radar. I was going to move to Bangkok next. But then when COVID hit here, like I said, I went back, I spent 30 days in Bangkok. And I was like, mm, I don't think Bangkok would actually be the place for me. It just reminds me of a racier, grittier New York City in a lot of ways after getting to spend so much time there. The next place that hit my radar was actually Taiwan. And I probably shouldn't say that too loud, being it because I know <laughs> we're not even allowed is, to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we're not even allowed to talk about like Taiwan and, and Hong Kong, really. Right, um, and, that's and, understandable. Yeah. Um, I do have a question. So, what was it like? Like you've mentioned, you got some best friends there in China. Um, what was it like making friends there, and what was it like dating? Or if you do date, like what's it like dating in in Shanghai? <laughs> Um, one thing with making friends, I'm going to not just say in China, but you probably know too, just being a, being an expat, people are so transient. Um, and for yes. me, I'm, I'm the type of person I care really hard. And I remember, um, in 2019, in June of 2019, it was like, I was crying every day before I got ready to go home for summer because people that I'd grown attached to and we'd had dinners with and, and hung out and they'd been like rooting me on when I first got here because they'd already been here. Like, it's going to be okay. You can do this. They would check in on me. They were leaving and either headed to other countries or headed back home. And I told myself then, I was like, you can't become so attached because people, they move and they move quickly. But it's so hard for me because when I care, I care hard. When I love, I love hard. And even this year, like I've lost some people and it has hit me really hard when they've decided like one, either they're going back home to the States or two, they're going to move to their, to their um, mm. next country. Dating right. here, I have uh, dated. <laughs> Dating here is, um, it, it's, it's different. Um, I um, um, actually dated, um, um, they were from, from Ghana. So that was a different experience for me. Enjoyable, um, but different. But overall, dating here is just um, different. You find that a lot of of Americans don't come here to, to date Americans. And I do, I, I get that because I guess that's the same way I view hanging out with people. If I wanted to just hang out with Americans, I could have stayed in America. So I try to, to branch out and, and hang out with, with people, you know, just from different countries and cultures. So just making friends and dating period, it's a different type of experience, especially being older. Mm. Right. Now, go, going back to what you said about yeah, things being transient. Yeah. I think it's something that we both, experienced being here um and i think i know a few people that have come out and things that advice that we've been given is has been to you know, make friends with locals as well as other expats because those expats good chance that they won't always be here 
and they may move on. Yeah, the only thing is with the locals, like it. Bit, bit easy, bit easier for us. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, to do that. Language barrier. <laughs> yeah, yeah <of> just <laughs> just quickly learn the local like, dialect and make some local yeah. friends, and you'll be you'll be it sorted. Just living with them, it, it's it's living in a compound where there are a mixture of locals and foreigners. It, it's a little different. It's well, different. What about the food as well? How, have you, how did you adjust to, I guess, a different diet? The food here, I have had some awesome food. The funny thing is, I just remember thinking, I'm moving to China and I'm going to have fried rice and egg for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not here. And that's not, you know, it's Americanized Chinese food. Chinese. Yes, that's the westernized Chinese food that they've, they've come over and they've gotten us to love and spend our money on. But that's not what we have here. But there is some delicious food here. Um, like for dinner today, or I guess late, early dinner or whatever, I had fish soup which is something that I never thought that I would like or eat, but it's like filet fish and a broth with cabbage and peppers and rice. I eat a lot of different stuff. It's so delicious. Um, I eat a lot of stuff that I never thought I would, and this will probably sound really crazy, Um, but like the the ramen noodles and stuff like that, I never had until I moved to China. (laughs) Like I never had them until i moved here ever ever that is a bit strange because i feel like i thought all black people had had ramen maybe not the way that ramen (laughs) is enjoyed in asian countries but i feel like you know (laughs) we black people have eaten ramen (laughs) at some point don't get me wrong here's the crazy thing about it my daughter she would eat it and loves it. I would buy the noodle packs for her and everything. My brothers ate it. So my parents purchased it when we were growing up. I didn't even eat it in college. My first experience with it was here. And I'm like, this is what I've been missing all my life with <laughs> eggs and onion. And I can't believe it. And now so of that, of that, I'm ready. <laughs> the only one in the family that didn't eat them has now moved was the end I ended up moving to Asia. Yes, and we'll tear them up now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, we're starting to do, like, you know, wrap up a little bit. Um, but I did want to ask you, if there are some things that you miss about the States and, like, you know, maybe things that are, like, a little bit different um, in China versus how they are in the States and, you know, just what do you miss? Food might be a good segue there. Yeah, that's what I think of it. What is it? The food? Yeah. Oh, like, so anything. It could be food. Uh, it could be, you know, um, the culture. I miss driving. Um, I, I miss driving a lot. Um, it always tickles me because I know in the States, we used to say, oh, you know, Chinese people, they can't drive. They really can. They're, they're, law- <laughs> they're actually following their laws here. Like here, they turn all out of the different lanes and it's crazy. So when they come to the States, they're just still following their laws here in China. So <laughs> I know I'll, I'll never drive here because they say the driving test is long. The written part is long and hard is what I've heard. It takes a lot of studying. Plus, even if I could get a license, I still wouldn't drive here. 
because it's just it's dangerous interesting all, the, all that all that work to get a license and none of it apparently involves learning to drive oh god i, I would <laughs> dangerous here yeah i mean i think so, they're bad drivers in australia but i can imagine that it, yes, it's yeah, and when you have a city of 25 million people that can't drive, that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, so probably just driving, uh, probably the ease of being able to get places because things are so spread out here. Um, Shanghai is just, it's huge. It is huge. And you can, somebody can tell you, I live in Minhong District. I remember a friend telling me, he was like, well, you live in Minhang and I live in Minhang. I was like, yeah. Um, but once we looked it up, we stayed like 35 minutes apart in Minhang. You know, you're, you're just thinking you're closer, but things are so spread out. So I do miss driving. I do a lot of public transportation. I miss things like Target and Walmart. Um, I miss good, strong coffee iced coffee from like um, Dunkin' Donuts. So there are lots of things that you miss, but overall, it's really nothing that you can't get here. That's a good way to look at it. Uh, I also miss uh, Walmarts and Targets. <laughs> and I'm, I looked at Tom's face uh, to see if he was going to react to you saying that because I say stuff about that all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, sh the shops and, and collard greens are the two things that I hear about all the time. Oh my oh god. Oh they, Tom you started something. See, I went to a restaurant a couple weeks ago and they said they had chopped collard greens and they did resemble collard greens, but uh, yeah, it, it just wasn't it wasn't collard greens though. So. Yeah. So there you know there are things you miss like just I miss the ease of being able to, to make a peach cobbler or to bake a cake or to go in the kitchen and fix some red beans or something like, you know, just things like that. Um, also, in my last apartment, I had the oven that we had being a new apartment, it had like upscale, top of the line stuff. The oven that we had was like a broiler, reeler, oven, steamer, microwave, it did everything. So I never <laughs> used it for anything but microwaving. When I got this apartment, I was so happy to see that it had like a built-in oven. But even with a built-in oven here, you got to watch the timer and, and be kind of leery of the temperature. So I'm like looking for a pizza stone now to kind of put in there to kind of help balance it. So it's a lot that I miss from home, but I still wouldn't change my life right now. That's such a good outlook. Like it's like, you know, staying positive, even though like you have expressed that there have been moments where you like, you know, you not that you feel depressed, but you know, you feel like you need to get away for a bit and like clear your mm -hmm. head and decompress. Um, but yet you still remain positive and you have a positive outlook over where you're living. You have um, to. Um, like there is sometimes I have to like take a break from certain things and sometimes people don't get it like people don't mean any harm I remember when COVID first started people were sending like all these articles and they were saying come home not my mom or my family but just people in general like come home and what I had to tell people was one you don't send us all these articles and all this stuff that you just found on YouTube because for one, it's stressful enough being an expat. And two, you never tell an expat to come home because we are home. 
You know, we, we mm -hmm. wherever we are at that time, we are home. Wherever you're from, like for me, the States, it's always going to be home. But at this point, I'm home. When I go back to the States, each time I've gone, I've kind of felt like I'm visiting. And after a while, I'm ready to come back home, which is to Shanghai. So if the numbers, so if the COVID numbers continue like they are, you'll be able to tell them to come out with you. It'll be safer. Yeah, yeah. If 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 China will open up, because <laughs> and right now is they're kind of keeping a, a iron fist on who's coming and what they're doing, and that's understandable because they don't want to go back through what was experienced here back mm. in the winter. yeah yeah yeah. But um, hopefully they don't uh, tighten up too much and uh, you can get some visitors soon because uh, they actually do know how to build a wall. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we, don't want to, we don't want them putting it out. That's a good one. <laughs> good one, good one. We saw what happened last time they got started. So, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, oh, man. Well, it's been like really good uh, chatting with you. Your story is like super interesting. Um Especially because it's not one that I don't think people hear often enough. I'm sure there are other people who have decided to move later on in life and who have, you know, they've moved to like such a place that's different to where they come from. And so it's good to hear those stories other than people who've moved to another English speaking country. So, you mm. know, they don't have that type of barrier um, to deal with when they first move somewhere. Um, and if I could just say one last thing, I do, if people, I do want people just to understand that coming over here not all of us are just teaching like english at training centers mm. or language centers like a lot of us are over here and we're working at true um international schools some of the top international schools so we're we're doing quite we're doing quite well um and we're happy and a lot of people ask like about black people in china we're over here and we are thriving, surviving, serving face, and we're doing it with grace. We're living and living well, and it's a blessing. Just only only coming in one by one on the airplanes, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you would think that if you if you saw us, but yeah, we we are here in uh, large numbers. Um, Tiffany probably knows, like, I'm, I'm Greek. I'm a member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. I thought you were Zeta. I told Tom that. I was like, she's in the sorority, and I yeah. think it's Zeta. Yeah, I'm a Zeta. And last year, um, in November, uh, one of my good friends, we are now good friends. We didn't know each other prior, but we actually did. He's a Kappa. We actually did the very first D9 uh, Greek meetup here. Oh, in I saw that on your Instagram. Yeah. yeah, very first one in China ever. And we did it. And like um, D9 members flew in from all over China. And it was a great weekend. What and was we the turnout? How many people showed up? Oh my God, there, it was quite a bit. Honestly, I can't remember exact numbers because we had it set up with different um, events. Like we met and the way it started when uh, Dee and I first met and said that we would do this, um, he, he was like the, the one that was really calm and we balanced one another out. Cause whenever I would go into like a tizzy, he would balance he would just like be calm so he was like the common force and the balancer and we both constantly said like even if it was nobody but just me him and his wife 
this meetup was going to happen. We didn't believe when people were telling us like, we're flying in from different provinces. We were like, yeah, okay. But man, those Greeks came out. They came flying in that Friday night. Some of them, as soon as they got off work, they took five hour flights. Some of them took off work and we had a great time with just different events lined up. Um, and unfortunately we were supposed to do it again in the spring, but COVID. Same old, same old. And for anyone outside of America, Tip, do you want to give a very brief summary of what, yes, what being part of a sorority involves? <laughs> Well, I was just going to um, mention that when she, when Tamisha is mentioning Greeks, she is not referring to people who are from Greece or of Greece, a uh, Greek heritage that may live and have been born elsewhere in the world. Um, she's specifically referring to, um, is it Pan Hellenic or Pan Hell Council? Yeah. So, yeah. So the, uh, or the, the D9. Yeah, exactly. So these are like historically uh, black. Uh, fraternities and sororities um, at uh, well they're at universities that are not necessarily HBCUs mm -hmm. I mean, like more generally I only, I only know because you've told me like I guess a lot of people in Australia the UK wouldn't know what a sorority is full stop or how it sort of operates yeah. so if that's a whole another conversation and if you are listening to this and you don't know what a sorority or fraternity is um, I would suggest uh, googling um, sororities and fraternities because there's so many that like the divine nine is just a small portion of, you know, cause I just, I keep seeing so many different ones that are not divine nine. And those are the ones I recognize very quickly, but there's so many out there that, um, you know, we, that's a whole nother conversation just talking about sororities and fraternities. But I mean, if you, there's plenty of movies you can watch and, you know, do a Google search and a lot will come up. Safe search. Put your safe search on. If you're doing that search. Just a oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> we don't want any uh of the adult kind of uh fraternities and sororities like the yes. you know not safe for work kind of <laughs> um, yeah. well I just have I know we said we we're gonna wrap up, but you did say something that made me just think of one last thing mm -hmm. um and I just want to know like is there a big you know black community out there like what's it like for you know like do you guys like kind of like do stuff together? And, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that there'll be like black people from all over the world, not just from the States, but um, different countries in Africa and different countries in uh, the Caribbean. All over the world, period. Period. Yeah. And that's just the, the amazing thing from all over the world, period. And yeah, there's a, a very large community here, um, always getting together to, to do little things um, and just to, to rally um together i've actually had colleagues who were not black well they would ask like well how did you know that and i'm like from my sisters and brothers group because you know you have your brothers and sisters of china you have your sisters of shanghai you have your your sisters of suja you have all these different groups we have hair groups um we have cooking groups everything so i think we even amaze others with with our how we come together others are amazed. yeah and that, that's kind of what we do like it's probably really nothing that we can't find out or couldn't can't get because it, there are so many of us that's good to know and i think that would be helpful for you know other women of color who are you know thinking about moving to china um, so yeah, or anyway. I, guess we'll, uh, I feel like we talk like 
oh well, it's nighttime for us it's kind of like early evening for you um yeah, I feel like like there's so much to talk about um but yeah i think it's a, a good spot to to kind of end and uh, just want to thank you for your time and you know thank you for sharing your story uh, it was really good to hear um do you have anything that you want to plug like are you open to people contacting you for like information about becoming like a teacher at an international school in china you know yeah. and contacting you if they they're moving to china and they're like you know i want to be in these groups that you're talking about and are you open to people contacting you on social media and stuff? Yeah, like I have my Instagram account, Black Educated Abroad. My Facebook account um, is under my name. My picture is there. I know like a lot of people are kind of always like, uh, do you want to, you know, really allow people to connect? I'm like, nobody's really looking for me or checking for me like that. If somebody needs some information, if I can help them, I can because I didn't get here by myself. Like so many people help me understand or try to help me understand what the process was like and what I was walking into. So it, to me, it's like reaching back, helping the next person who's trying to, to walk into the process as well. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's kind of why we are doing this in the first place. Just yeah. to, you know, give people the information that, you know, not just Tom and I, but like, you know, people that we talk to, you know, spread that information so that people um, actually have something to guide them through the process of moving overseas. Yeah, and we're we're out here, we're living, and I just, even with uh, my former students, the ones I'm still in contact with, I always tell them that it's so much more um, in the world outside of your neighborhood. And I think that even goes for um, adults as well. It's just so much more for you, us to see besides the, the city and state where we live or even you know, our home country. I would tell anybody, do it. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. Very good advice. Tom, do you want to add anything? No, no, I think it's been great. Yeah, I really appreciate your time, Tamisha. It's been, like I say, it's been a very different um, experience that you've had than most of the people I think that we've spoken to or most people we know. Um, so, yeah, it's been very interesting to hear that side of it. Like I said, I don't think I could move somewhere where they didn't know the language, so... It's very, I think that'd be very daunting. So, fair play. <laughs> thank you. This has been a great experience. So, thank you so much for like just letting me put my story out there. And I hope others will like listen and appreciate it. Yeah, I'm sure no, they will. It's been you. a great, and great that, story. Yeah. So, if you um, do want to find um, Tamisha on Instagram or Facebook, we'll have all of that linked to the episode um and uh yeah so if you like what you hear um feel free to follow us on instagram at expat state of mind uh on facebook also expat state of mind if you have any questions or you'd like to chat with samisha uh, by email you can email us at expat state of mind and we'll get you in touch with her um but yeah that this has been a a longer episode than usual but i think we've got so much good stuff in there that you know if you've made it this far you probably have not been too bothered by the length <laughs> and um hopefully the audio is better this time around uh I, i've got a, a good mic and uh tom and i are not in the same room again so that's uh look i think that's um added to the the better sound anywho uh but yeah this has been tip this has been tom and Tamisha. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, 
stay tuned for the next episode bye thanks for listening to expat state of mind and don't forget if you enjoyed the show please like comment and subscribe and until next time look after yourselves Thank you.